Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli with Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry and provide factual information to clear up some of that confusion uh, from all the information that's out there. Uh, I'm very happy today to have as our guest, Ms. B. Blouser, uh, who is an award-winning author and engaging public speaker. She is uh, featured on NPR's Journeys of Discovery and on issues and ideas. So we're, we'll bring be on in a few minutes, but very happy to have her join us today. So the Omicron variant continues to spread through the United States, uh, about a sevenfold increase in about a week uh, after week. So we're really seeing how contagious and transmissible this is. Uh, CDC and FDA officials are very concerned that we're going to see an increase in hospitalizations and unfortunately an increase in deaths when you combine Omicron with the Delta variant, that's still the predominant variant in the U.S. We also have uh, flu season that's really uh, we're in the midst of at this point. So a lot going on when it comes to respiratory viruses. So we know that the safest thing to do is get vaccinated, get that booster shot. It looks like booster shots do help against severe disease and will keep people out of the hospital, uh, even with the Omicron variant. Uh, Johnson & Johnson's vaccine showed very little effect against the Omicron variant. Uh, CDC officials are now actually meeting uh, to determine uh, how to proceed with that. Should the J&J vaccine still be authorized? Do the benefits still outweigh the risks? So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they come out there. And we know Dr. Fauci said uh, not too long ago that in retrospect, it probably looks like J&J would have been better had it been a two-shot vaccine, but certainly we know there's a lot of people out there that just don't like to get stuck, don't want to get that vaccination. So I think it was a good idea. It probably did motivate a lot of people to get vaccinated uh, with J&J. We know J&J had some uh, issues with regard to uh, blood clotting that were very, very rare, but nonetheless, uh, we're, we're a concern. Uh, so the when you think about the vaccines that are available in the U.S., we have Pfizer, we have Moderna, and we have J&J. Pfizer and Moderna were extremely effective, and it does look like they'll continue to be effective with that booster shot, as I mentioned. Remains to be seen how uh, the CDC and FDA uh, will view the J&J shot, but I would imagine uh, it looks like we have plenty of uh, the mRNA vaccine available, so uh, interesting to see how they proceed in that regard. A lot of Americans, though, even with this news of 
the Omicron variant making its way through many countries, including the U.S., are very tired of wearing masks, tired of hearing about mandates, tired of really just being in this pandemic. I think we could all empathize with that position. I think we're all tired of dealing with this. But nonetheless, I think we still really need to act responsibly, think about how what we know, what we've learned over the last just about two years when it comes to the, the virus and how we could act responsibly, because there's some people out there you know, that either can't get vaccinated, people out there now that Omicron is circulating may not have had the chance to get their booster yet. So I think it really, as much as everyone hates hearing about mask mandates, wearing masks, it's still really the best defense, even if you are vaccinated, wear that mask because that will protect you. Um, you know, I think it's, at least in my opinion, a little overboard, um, you know, when we talk about getting together for the holidays, uh, a lot of our family members and friends are probably vaccinated. So I think we're in a very different situation than we were in last year. So, you know, but nonetheless, it's a discussion people should have. And, you know, the main thing to think about is just continue to act responsibly, continue to act in a way that protects yourself, your family members and your loved ones, because this is, you know, we want to be through this pandemic. We're not through it. We're still in the midst of it. The emergence of Omicron really was, uh, should be a, a reminder that, you know, we saw that light at the end of the tunnel in March, Delta came around and really sent things sideways. We got kind of used to it. We're not through Delta, but certainly we're learning to live with it. We hear Omicron pop up. So hopefully uh, we know it's very transmissible. Hopefully when we get that more data that continues to come in, uh, we won't see these hospitalizations creep up. People continue to get their booster shots, but it remains to be seen. I think, you know, one of the big issues that we have here is, you know, are we really learning from the past? Are we learning from our past mistakes? You know, we've been in this two years now. Uh, we've had the original strain of the virus. We've had various variants that have popped up, most recently Delta and Omicron, you know, but we continue to kind of see the same behavior. What have we learned? You know, we look back over the last couple decades, we know the U.S. got very lucky in 2009 with the highly contagious swine flu. Uh, I think even Barack Obama at the time said uh, we were extremely lucky that although it was very contagious, it wasn't as virulent as it potentially could have been. Uh, so mortality wasn't as high as it could have been with the number of cases. But nonetheless, when we look at back, it just seems like we continue to handle these situations on our heels. And we really haven't really learned exactly you know, how to act on our mistakes. So let's bring on our guest, Ms. B. Blozer. Ms. Um, Blozer was in Africa after the CDC dispatched her husband, Carl, to join the, clo the global small pack, <clears throat> excuse me, smallpox vaccination campaign in 1969. So she's seen firsthand the spread of one of the really most deadly uh, viruses out there. So we're very lucky to have her. Let's We'll talk to B about her experience and, you know, how she sees the outlook. B, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank you also for the work you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure. We always try and bring guests like yourself to kind of sift through all that misinformation that's out there and just provide some factual information. So I think it's great. So obviously, the one of the most important questions I think that I want to hear from you is, you know, how do you think this is going? When you look back at all your experience when it came to smallpox and then you look at this, 
uh, are we handling things the way we should be or what can, you know, what have we learned and what should we be doing differently? Well, of course, I fully believe that we need to do uh, follow all of the CDC guidelines. We need to be getting vaccinated and wearing the mask and keeping social distance and all of those things, which, as you said, people are getting tired of it. But uh, we know what works and um, we don't, uh, scientists are discovering new things all along because this is a new virus. So we don't know everything about this virus and especially as new mutations come along. But um, if we want to protect our loved ones, even if we're not concerned for our own health, then I think we we follow the precautions that we know uh, at least work to, um, you know, so, so far as prevention. When you when we talk about smallpox, a lot of people, you know, it's in their vernacular, but they just assume it's something that existed back in the Stone Age, you know, but it, generally speaking, it was a relatively recent disease that's been eradicated. What was one of the what was the motivation and aside from the obvious, but how did the, this global campaign to eradicate smallpox um, blossom? Well, it's it's an amazing story, and the uh, when CDC began the West African, West and Central Africa smallpox eradication program in 1967, that was the beginning of the major global campaign, which would later be carried on by WHO uh, in the rest of the world. Um, it had actually been proposed in 1958 at the World Health Assembly by the Soviets, but at that time the U.S. was focused on malaria prevention. So uh, when we when we did start uh, pick up the focus on the smallpox program, then it went with incredible speed, and I think just um, <laughs> the, the fact that the uh, every single country had to have a separate agreement. Uh, there was negotiation with every country, and I, that's just an incredible accomplishment, I think. And um, the I think one of the major things was that smallpox uh, was killed at such a terrifying rate, and it was so visible. And it just was a horrendous, uh, a horrendous disease. It was uh, so in your face. And so it was terrifying. And people were willing to fight that much more, I think, than something that you can't see. When we think about going to Africa, what was the uh, the reason that uh, you were dispatched to Africa as opposed to, for example, South America or another Region. I mean, obviously, Africa, we know now sub-Saharan Africa, when we look at the current pandemic, is one of the least vaccinated places. Was that kind of the idea there that it wasn't as vaccinated and, you know, that's where it was spreading rapidly? Or was there another reason uh, to kind of start the campaign in Africa? 
at the time the campaign began, the uh, the 19 and eventually 20 uh, contiguous countries in West and Central Africa had the highest rates and where it was anticipated that Nigeria in particular would be the hardest place in the world to evacuate, uh, <laughs> excuse me, eradicate smallpox. And so that was, uh, yes, that was the thinking was to begin there where the problem seemed the the worst and um, the most uh, challenging. When we hear about these variants that are popping up in South Africa uh, recently, you know, with the current pandemic, do you think the the U.S. and other global leaders should have uh, a more aggressive campaign when it comes to Africa? Do you think we'll continue to see variants pop out there, or do you think things are being done in the right way? Well, as you know, I'm speaking from the uh, vantage point of, of uh, being the wife of one of the smallpox eradicators, uh, but from experience in uh, in West Africa, I think that uh, well, there are going to be variants and mutations that can develop everywhere as long as we don't have an adequate vaccination rate. Uh, but the the situation of leaving Africa and uh, possibly uh, other developing nations also without adequate vaccine and vaccination programs i think of i think of this in terms of not providing adequate vaccines for the poorest countries in the world is like putting up a security fence electrified security fence with razor wire on top around our own property and leaving the gate wide open uh, until we have the uh, good high vaccination rates worldwide, then we're all at risk and will continue to be. Yeah, certainly this is a global pandemic and, you know, no matter how tight we try and keep our borders, no matter how uh, much we tend to kind of shut airlines down or shut nations down from entering this country, we continue to see these variants pop up. So I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, talk, thinking back about uh, your time in Africa, you know, it was a region uh, of the world where there was a lot of um, authoritarianism and a lot of brutal dictators. What are some of the other challenges that, um, aside from the obvious challenges of vaccinating people to eradicate smallpox, but on the personal level, dealing with, um, you know, some of those governments in Africa? Well, uh, that was a a huge challenge in uh, Equatorial Guinea, where we we were first in northern Nigeria, uh, which at the time, even though it was in, in the midst of a civil war, the Nigeria Biafra War, we were in the north, which was um, under the leadership of uh, the Emirs and. So people did not disobey an emir. So the emirs told people to show up at certain points and get vaccinated. They did. Um, 
we were not in the area where the fighting was going on. We were far away from that. We were transferred to Equatorial Guinea, which was in the vice of a mad dictator. And that was a very different situation for us personally. Uh, we had uh, <laughs> we had seven soldiers crowded into our living room, thrusting bayonets through our belongings as we unpacked our household shipment. Um, eventually, they would try to arrest our five-year-old son uh, for making a little bow and arrow with a bent twig and a rubber band. Um, so there were those kinds of, of things going on while my husband was, could be, you know, deep in the rainforest, uh, out of communication. Uh, but the, nothing slowed the campaign. And it was, I think all of the families, uh, we just, we just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And no matter what the challenges were, the program just marched ahead at incredible speed. It's a, it's a huge story. <laughs> yeah, it's really a very incredible story. We're talking with Miss B. Bloser uh, on Politics and Life Science Radio. B. was in Africa after the CDC dispatched her husband uh, to join the global smallpox vaccination campaign in 1969. B, when you look at what's going on in the U.S. with the politicization of masks, with the politicization of, you know, various therapeutics that, you know, are arguably may not even work, you know, what what do you think is one of the, the biggest issues that you see uh, in the U.S. that really frustrates you? It is the... Is, uh, extreme political divide. I, with, with smallpox, you know, there was such unity um, in in the approach and uh, in the determination to get it done. And uh, well, public health is political health. It always has been. But at the same time, I think the um, the extent of that, the extreme division is, um, and the misinformation is just incredibly frustrating. I couldn't agree more. I mean, when we talk about, you know, Operation Warp Speed, I think that was really a tremendous achievement by the U.S. to get a vaccine uh, made so quickly and so safely. But then you juxtapose that with the, you know, the comments that were getting very politicized where we saw members of the Democrat Party saying they would never take Donald Trump's vaccine as if he was, you know, they're making it and selling it himself. Uh, we continue to hear all this politicization. And, you know, you mentioned misinformation, which is just really, in my opinion, one of the biggest uh, impediments to getting people vaccinated. You know, do you have concerns that, you know, this anti-vaxxer movement has always been around. I mean, when you look at smallpox, it was just such a huge success when we talk about vaccines. Are you concerned that people are starting to take vaccination for granted because it's been such a success and, you know, vaccines that we typically give to our children 
parents may start to, um, you know, be skeptical or hesitant to get their kids vaccinated? Well, that's what I'm hearing, uh, that the the anti-vaccine attitudes and information regarding the the COVID-19 vaccines is having a spillover effect and is causing people to doubt or resist all of the other vaccines that we've used and that have been so successful and so protective for decades. The uh, because my own field is speech language pathologist, I used to, you know, the anti-vaxxer things that I would run into were the uh, concerns that vaccines were causing autism uh, based on a debunked article that had been published in Lancet and was later withdrawn and so on. And so the I think that you know that that is having a it's a it's broadening in its effect and I I am really concerned that so many of the vaccines that have been accepted for for decades um are being resisted and that we're going to have a return of many of of these things of course there's you know we've had the spike in measles and you know there are so many others that can come back you're absolutely right and i I share your concern because you know i think you know there is a possibility that we can be a victim of our own success i mean we're hearing you know a lot of young people skeptical skeptical of our institutions skeptical of government and um you know hopefully that skepticism doesn't really bleed over to you know vaccine skepticism uh, when they have their own children, because we know millions of children, uh, millions of deaths have been avoided globally because of vaccination. So I find it really frustrating, you know, all the work that was achieved over the last, you know, 50 to 70 years, um, you know, now being in question. But I want to thank you, uh, B. Lozer, for joining us today. It was my pleasure talking with you. Thank you for that really great insight into your experiences. And thank you for you and your husband uh, for your work in Africa, helping to eradicate the smallpox uh, disease. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, keep up the great work you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you all for joining us. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we spoke with B. Bloser and got some of her background and experience uh, in Africa in the late 1960s in the pursuit to eradicate smallpox. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to talking to you again next week on Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences. 